0: Well, good morning, and I just got to begin by saying, I'm so glad you came back. (laughs) If you were here last week, yeah, I was a little, I was getting a little worried. Uh, We are here in part two of Ecclesiastes, a sermon series I'm calling The Quest. If you weren't here, uh, we met the philosophy professor, and I was a little worried at the end of last week's sermon, you'd go home and be like, what's the point? It's all meaningless, but you've come back. Why? He is pressing us. Solomon, in the book of Ecclesiastes, and we're going to be in chapter two this morning, is pressing us like a gifted philosophy professor would. He's pressing us to analyze whether or not the way we look at life can hold up logically, rationally. And as long as we focus on one part of our life, it usually does. What he is saying is, okay, but look at the whole thing. From 1907 to 1983, there was a comic strip called Mutt and Jeff. And there's an old Mutt and Jeff cartoon strip where um, uh, Jeff walks up and uh, sees that there is a big pile of stones right in the middle of the road, big pile of stones holding a lantern. Jeff says, Mutt, what, what are you doing here? What, what, what is this? What, they, what is this big pile of stones here for? He says, well, I needed that big pile of stones to hold the lantern. He says, well, what's the lantern for? Oh, the lantern is to warn cars that there's a big pile of stones here. But didn't you put the stones that, yeah. So as long as you focus on the lantern, the stones make sense. The stones hold the lantern. And as long as you focus on the stones, the lantern makes all the sense in the world. It's to warn everybody there's a big pile of stones. But when you back up a second, you go, but what's the point of it? That's Ecclesiastes. As long as you're focused on one part of your life, it all makes sense. Or you focus on this part, it all makes sense. But Ecclesiastes is saying, whoa, 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 let's back up a second. I know getting through life every day, that is important and that's difficult. He says, I get it, but let's back up and go, why, how, what does all this mean? There's a philosopher named Peter Kraft who uh, says, you want a philosophy class? Go to an entrance of a big city and sit somewhere near the bridge, the bridge that leads into a big city. And just sit there and think about that bridge for a while. Ask, why is it there? seems like it's always been there. No, but why? Well, it's there to get people from the suburbs into the city in the morning and back out to their homes in the evening. Okay, then ask, why? Why do they go to the city? Well, to work. At what? All sorts of meaningful jobs. Like what? Well, I... (laughs) Policeman, and nurse, and financier, and construction worker, and engineer, and politician, and shoemaker, and math teacher. Okay, okay. What do they all do? Well, policemen police bridge traffic. Nurses heal people injured in bridge traffic. Financiers finance bridge building. Construction workers build bridges. Engineers design bridges. Politicians authorize the building of bridges. Shoemakers make shoes for crossing bridges. And math teachers educate future engineers. Lantern stones, right? Stone's lantern. The bridge is there so that we can have a bridge. Now, here's what you can do with all this. And that's what's great about living in 2021. You can think of none of this. We live in an age of unparalleled distraction. And you can just go through life and not think of any of this until you run smack into Ecclesiastes. And that's what he's coming after. I, I, I need to clarify something I said last week. He's not so much coming after atheists. Uh, you, won't meet, you won't meet very many diehard atheists. They're out there. I'm telling you, they're rare. What he's coming after is a secularist. What do I mean by that? Somebody who's just... I'm talking about the guy in Coleman who's like, look, there, there's probably a God. I, yeah, there's probably a God. But look, I, I got... I got what I'm dealing with right now. I just don't live in reference to God very much. Preacher, it's not something I think about a lot. You know, I've got my life, I'm doing my thing, and I don't really, it's just not something I focus on a lot. That's who Ecclesiastes is coming after, and that's who he is not going to let you get away with that. He's going to make you think through that. For everybody who says, I don't don't think about it, you know, there's football, and there's lake houses, and there's car, (laughs) car line, and there's you know, there's farming and there's making a living and there's Instagram and, there's, you know. He's saying, okay, all right. Okay, so let's, Solomon says, this, this is not gonna get you there. But how do you know, Solomon? How do you know that these, that these things in life are just stones and lanterns? How do you know? Solomon now does something that no philosophy professor could ever do. You and I don't have the time or the resources to do this, but he can. He can go on what we call the grand experiment. I mean, how are you going to tell me that there's nothing under the sun that can satisfy? Okay, because I'm the king. I have unparalleled power, and I have unparalleled resources, and so I'm just going to go on the grand experiment, and I'm going to show you by, by, by way of uh, uh, ruling everything else out that you are not going to find purpose or meaning under the sun. It can only be found in the one who's beyond the sun. You're not going to find it. Oh, yeah? How do you know? I'll tell you how I know chapter 2 is how I know the grand experiment let's walk through this grand experiment Solomon goes all out and test everything you could think of start in verse 1 let's start with where a lot of people start in, 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 in almost parallel stages of life let's start where a lot of young people start and that's with pleasure I said in my heart come now I will test you with pleasure let's start there maybe a life of hedonism maybe that's the way to go enjoy yourself how'd that turn out but behold this also was vanity i said of laughter it's mad and of pleasure what use is it i searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine my heart still guiding me with wisdom in other words i didn't let this quest for pleasure take over my life i was truly in experiment mode as a philosopher i want to know and how to lay hold on folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. He starts where a lot of people start out. Live, laugh, love, get the t-shirt. He's, this, this is spring break, man. This is a Smith Lake Saturday night. He's like, I'm. I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to have fun. Now, there may be young people here who wonder, okay, so you say Solomon partied. He partied, but did he partay? I mean, did he really throw down or did he, I mean, you know, to say he parties is an understatement. Solomon goes all out. There's a record of one of the parties he threw in 1 Kings. This is, every commentary I read gave the same numbers. This is between 15 and 20,000 people. If you go back to 1 Kings 4.22, I'll just put them up here. This is his uh, shopping list. When he goes to Costco, this is what he has to pick up, uh, to have his party. Solomon's provision for one day, y'all, one day, was 30 cores of fine flour. Do you know how much 30 cores is? That's almost 50 omers and an efaf. I have no idea, I mean, In metric, that's 220 liters if you're curious. 220 liters of fine flour, 60 cores of meal, 10 fat oxen. In metric, that's 10 fat oxen. Steak, y'all, and I love this. And 20 pasture-fed cattle. 3,000 years ago, they were still worried about GMOs, and they want you to know these are grass-fed, okay? This isn't any uh, uh, hormone treatment or anything, okay? Pasture-fed cattle, 100 sheep, besides deer, they eat venison, gazelles, roebucks, and fat and fowl. I've never had a roebuck. I don't, I don't know what that is. I don't know anything about roebuck, It's related to sears somehow, but I don't, I don't eat any roebuck, Never heard of it, but i tell you one thing. See that last one, fat and fowl? I know exactly what that is, y'all. That's fried chicken. That's what fat and fowl is. That's a little yard bird. I love it. So that 15 to 20,000 people. Hey, so that little barbecue you threw last summer, that little soiree where you had, oh, 50 people over. Oh, so many. Solomon is not impressed. You understand? He partied. The biggest party many of you have ever thrown in your life was your wedding reception. and Some of them were pretty big. Solomon laughs at that. You had the DJ play a Jonas Brothers song. He bought the Jonas Brothers and had them come and play the palace. In the midst of all this, he didn't lose his mind. Life's one big spring break, but eventually what happens, and this happens to a lot of young people, is they come to a place, right? You know, they go off to college, they get in the party scene. Eventually, they come to a place where they go, I just don't want to do this anymore. This is getting old. Solomon gets tired of waking up. In his chariot the next morning with a new tattoo, you know, sick of it. It gets old. Now, here's the great thing about this grand experiment. If you're a young person, you now don't have to go live a life of foolishness. Someone has already experimented and they're here to tell you it's a dead end. It's a blind alley. Not going to get you where you want to go. And so he does what a lot of young people do. He says to himself, well, all right, so this party scene gets old. I got to make something of myself. That's the ticket. I got to really, yeah, I got I to gotta build something. I got I to gotta, I gotta do something with my life. And that's what he did. Verse four, let's move on from pleasure to a building program. I made great works. I built houses and planted vineyards for myself. Oh, that, that's nice. He built a house. You don't understand the scale. We'll get to that in a second. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. To those who would say, you know, it ain't about the party scene. It's about hard work. It's about farming. It's about connecting with nature. It's about agriculture. It's about, it's about you know, these building programs, constructioning and engineering. Okay, well, he did all that. To give you an idea of the kind of house we're talking about, the temple that Solomon was allowed to build for God took took seven years to build. It was ornate, precious stones, ancient wonder of the world. Solomon's house took 14 years to build. And uh, he built not only all those houses, but houses for his wives, which we'll get to that in a minute. That was an event. So he builds homes, and there's this, you know, kind of, well, I did that. And then he says he plants these gardens, planted these forests. Uh, listen, you need to understand, it's not like he went outside and put in a few crepe myrtles. He built a national, po- national forest, national park. So Solomon would say, you know, I love what you've done. I love what you've done with the gardenias. Don't, don't get me wrong. But unless whatever you built has the word national in front of it. Imagine a national park. Imagine Joshua Tree or Arches National Park, can- uh, 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 a bankhead, but privately owned. That's his backyard. That's his playground. Built it. Cultivated it. Been there, done that. So, so what else is there? I mean, you, you've done the building program. It comes to the end of that. that that's vanity too. Well, maybe, maybe now the goal is, and this you kind of see moving through later in life, maybe now it's like retirement, you know? Have enough time to actually enjoy what you spent your life building. Well, he got to that point too. Look at verse 7. I bought male and female slaves. I had slaves who were born in my house. I also had great possessions of herds and flocks, more than any who had been before me in Jerusalem. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the treasure of kings and provinces. I got singers, both men and women, and many concubines, the delights of the sons of man. He wants to enjoy all he's built. He's got this empire. And the whole business about I've got servants who now had servants born in my house means he is financially what some people call set. Set. What do I mean by that? When you have enough income that it just perpetuates enough income that you never have to do anything. Uh, so imagine you got so much money sitting in the bank that you can just live off the interest. You're set. You're done. It, it, it's like, how many times can you go around the Monopoly board? That, that, that's where he's at. I've got, in other words, I've not only got servants, which was a mark of great wealth. I've got servants who now have servants. Like, I can just live off the perpetual income of all this gold and silver and the treasures of kings. And I've got the time to enjoy it. As for the entertainment, Solomon is <clears throat> notorious uh, many wives and concubines. The Bible tells us he had 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's just a nonsense number, right? I mean, you know, Solomon is trying to say, hey, I get it. A lot of people fantasize about what's out there. The reason I think this whole thing is here in, in Scripture is to show us he, he had it all. There's nothing you could fantasize that he has not... Uh, 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 provided for himself, denied himself nothing, 700 wide. Who? Who's the biggest party animal you could think of in American history? Would it not be somebody like uh, 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 the, the late Hugh Hefner? What did he have, six girlfriends? Solomon's like, six girlfriends? Pff, I married six on Thursday. Like that's you know, you know, He's trying to show you, he's come to the end. He's exhausted all this. Now, as I was preparing this message, uh, I thought, boy, I'm glad nobody would be foolish enough to try to recreate this experiment. I mean, the whole point of this grand experiment, he did this so that you don't have to. You can learn if you have wisdom, which also Solomon you know, taught us in Proverbs. If you have wisdom, you can learn. You don't have to go through every dark alley and every dead end. He's trying to bring you to the end of this and go, look. Um, and, and I thought, isn't it a relief that we don't have the wealth of Solomon so that for many of us, we're sort of naturally buffered and protected. We won't try this experiment. And then it occurred to me, but if you got one of these, you have access to more libraries than Solomon could ever have in a million lifetimes. You have, I have access on this phone right now to every song that's ever been. I mean, Solomon had to go get, what did it say, male and female singers? Can you imagine? Live music was a big deal. There weren't jukeboxes. There weren't radios. There were singers, and it was a big deal to have them. I take it for granted. I can have any. Song I want right here, right now. And as for the delights, the sons of man, the women and the concubines, don't we all know what the internet has done to infiltrate young minds and old with uh, sexual uh, impurity? In a way, if you have a phone, you have more wealth than Solomon, which means we better pay attention to Ecclesiastes. Is is this going to get us, at the end of the internet, at the end of all our scrolling, is it going to get us where we want to be? Well, verse (laughs) 9, understatement, I was popular. Yeah, I'd say you were. So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. And here's the thing. Also, my wisdom remained with me. I worked hard. I was into my work. In verse 10, And whatever my eyes desired it I did not keep from them, I kept my heart from no pleasure. Eyes are the outward desires, heart is the inward desires. And I said yes to all of it. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was the reward for all my toil. What Solomon is saying is this. I did it. When I, when I got the news that everything was meaningless, I did it. I went skydiving. I went Rocky Mountain climbing. I went 2.7 seconds on a bull named Fu Manchu. I did it all. And I'm telling you, that was the reward for my toil. I didn't get there. I didn't get there. So let's sum up. Where are we in verse 11? Let's take stock. Uh, I've done all this stuff, and that was the reward. It didn't fulfill. Uh, when When I talk about profit, when I talk about gross revenue, we brought this up last week. Profit is revenue minus expense. And I have a lot of great things in my life, but look at what it cost me to get there in the end. Nothing. Nada. Zip. Zilch. Then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil I had expended in doing it, and behold, all was vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun solomon was dealing with something that we need to wrestle with he was dealing with something when it comes to pleasure that uh, psychologists call hedonic adaption hedonic adaption hedonic adaption is something you may not think about that in those phrases but you've absolutely experienced this and here's what hedonic adaption means a luxury once sampled becomes a necessity A luxury, once sampled, becomes a necessity. Stuff it 10 years ago, 15 years ago, 20 years ago, you're like, now who on earth would need that? Now you're like, I do. I need that and cannot live without it. Hedonic adaption. Why? Because it takes, addicts know this, it takes more and more of that substance to reach the pleasure, to reach the high. Why? Because we grow accustomed to what we have. May I submit to you one and only one example. I submit to you, the automobile seat warmer. Fifteen years ago, I heard that cars were coming out, that you could press a button on a cold day, and you could, you could, you could be made warm. And I thought, who on earth? would possibly need it now it is standard and i better have it and then i thought to myself how could it get any more crazy i have reached the absolute top of hedonic adaption and then i sat in a friend's car and he said hey watch this and it was not a seat warmer it was a seat cooler on a hot day and i thought don't even don't even press that button because there are starving children right now in the world and he presses the button who i'm like well, I hope someone helps uh, because, wow, I had no idea I need that. See what happened? Hedonic adaption. You can always be happy with your first floor view until you see from the penthouse. And you're miserable. And it, always, it ratchets up like a ratchet, right? It goes up and up and up. Very hard to bring it back down. Hedonic adaption. Solomon was dealing with this. And that's where we're at. We think, if I could just get more, if I could just, some of you are sitting here right now, this crazy irony, you're hearing this, and right now your mind is set on something out there. Listen to the word of God this morning, will you? Listen to Ecclesiastes, he's pleading with you. We're always saying, well, the grass is greener on the other side of the fence. Solomon's saying, I bought the other side of the fence. I bought the fence. I own all the grass. I'm telling you, it's not going to get you where you want to be right now. It's going, but but there's got to be something that if I had more wisdom, if I had a better job, if I had this family, if I if I had more stuff. And right now, you've got your heart set on something. Solomon's saying, if you're not happy with the stuff you have now, you will not be happy if you get more stuff because happiness is not and has never been connected to stuff. It's not not there. You're not going to find it. So get your mind off of those things that are under the sun for just a minute. Or, Solomon's way, press it to its logical conclusion then. Go all the way with it. At the end, you'll find emptiness. It's not there. Now, some of you might say, well, of course it's not there. <sighs> I could have told you it's not there. It's not in material things or possessions. no. Fulfillment is found in the mind, philosophy, wisdom. Solomon's like, "I right, we'll go there. Verse 12, okay. So I turn to consider wisdom. This is my favorite part of the whole passage. And just in case... I love this and madness and folly. I love that because it's like who knows? Maybe that crazy conspiracy stuff. Maybe they got it right and we're wrong. Okay, so I'll, I'll throw them in. You know what I'm talking about? Everybody's got at least one a crazy cousin with like the tinfoil hat. And, you know right? Okay, maybe you're like I am that cousin and I was okay. But I love that he's saying wisdom and I'll throw madness and folly in there. Maybe the maybe the insane people are sane and maybe the sane people are insane. Okay, for what can the man do who comes after the king? In other words, I've done pleasure. I'm telling you, what can any of you do more than Solomon? The answer is you cannot. Okay. Only what's been already done. So I'm telling you, if you, try, if you go and try to try this experiment, he's saying, I'm telling you, you're only recreating something that's already been settled. But with wisdom. First thing he does is concede, verse 13. Look, there is more gain in wisdom than in folly. You're on the right track. as There is more gain in light than darkness. What he's saying is, yes, of course. Listen, if you're... If you're getting, you know, drunk every night, waking up hungover, at least upgrade to this. Yes, th- I mean, this is a better way to live. Fine. That's more gain than, that's like light than darkness because the wise person has eyes in his head, but the fool walks in darkness. And yet I perceived that the same event happens to all of them. I mean, why work so hard at being wise if what happens to the wise is going to happen to the fool? Look at verse 15. I said in my heart, what happens to the fool will happen to me also. Why then have I been so very wise? And I said in my heart, this also is vanity. Some of you discovered this years ago in school, they started doing assignments with something called group work. And you realize something. I could work really, really hard and get the exact same grade as all these other slackers. Or I could be the slacker and get the same grade, right? What? What's the? To me, it really discouraged individual work ethic because you realize it in the end doesn't matter. We're all going to get the same grade. Why have I done this? If we're all going to end up in the grave, why be wise? Why be a fool? Where did that get him? Pretty dark place for the wise. Look at verse sixteen. For of the wise as of the fool, there's no enduring remembrance, seeing that in the days to come all will have been forgotten how the wise dies just like the fool. There's an old legend of, uh, of uh, uh, Philip of Macedon's son, grows up to be the great you know, em- emperor, goes outside to the philosopher, his, his tutor, and he's uh, looking through this pile of bones in this graveyard and he says, what are you doing? He says, I'm searching for the bones of your father Philip of Macedon, but it seems I can't tell them apart from all the rest. Man owned half of you know, the ancient Near East, and at the end, bones are bones. So where'd that get you, Solomon? I hate it. Look at verse 17. Oh, this is one of the most, to me, this is one of the most moving points of the Old Testament. It is, it is the complete antithesis of what we read in 1 Corinthians. Your labor's not in vain. Look, look at how, look at this. So I hated life, because what is done under the sun was grievous to me, for all is vanity and a striving after the wind. If your life is lived under the sun, if you're that happy-go-lucky secularist, leave the atheists alone for a minute. Leave leave them out of this. I'm talking about somebody who's just secular. They're living for the here and now. They're focused on the stones or the lantern, and they're just going to distractedly go their way through life. He's saying, if you will stop and think, you will hate life because it's under the sun. It's vanity. It's striving after the wind. Listen to Derek Kidner. If one fate comes to both wise and foolish, and that fate is extinction, it robs every man of his dignity and every project of its point. If there's a lie at the center of existence and if there's nonsense at the end of it, who has the heart to make anything of it? I love this. If every card in our hand will be trumped, does it matter how we play? I don't know if uh, some of you... uh, some of you sinners are like me, and you like to play cards. <laughs> but uh, uh, some games, hearts, spades, even rook, they have this thing called a trump. And uh, those of you that that uh, <clears throat> that are smiling and nodding secretly, it's okay. You can admit it. Can... And uh, but uh, there's such a thing as a laydown hand. You ever heard this? A laydown hand, where you, there comes a point where you know you you played a thirteen, ooh, you played a fourteen. Oh, I got a trump. Well, it doesn't matter. If you play the Trump suit, they win the trick. Okay, well, you go around again. Oh, you played a 10. Oh, you played an 11. I got a Trump. Eventually, you go, how many Trumps do you have? I, I have all Trumps. I have Oh, and Then what do you do? Nobody plays out the rest of the hand. You just, you lay them down. What's the point? He's saying, if death at the end of this is the big Trump card, and that's all there is, then we're just in a lay down hand. We're, what's the point? Who wants to go around and around and around for the rest? No wonder he hated life. Verse 18, I hated all my toil in which I toil under the sun, seeing that I must leave it to the man who will come after me. And who knows whether he'll be wise or a fool. (laughs) Actually, Solomon, we know. Your son Rehoboam manages to lose ten twelfths of your kingdom. So, fool. Yet he will be a master of all for which I toiled and used my wisdom under the sun. This is vanity. Yep, that, that literally happened to you. Looking at you, Rehoboam. So I turned about and gave my heart up to despair over all the toil of my labors under the sun. Because sometimes a person who's toiled with wisdom and knowledge and skill must leave everything to be enjoyed by someone who didn't toil for it. This also is vanity. And it's a great evil. It's not, it's not fair. Verse 22. What has a man from all the toil and striving of heart which he toils beneath the sun? There's a famous uh, a poet from England, John Keats. And at his death, he insisted, written on his tombstone. Think about it. John Keats, uh, Ode to a Grecian urn, to autumn, all these great sonnets. I mean, this is a great, very famous. Uh, this would be like a modern-day songwriter, right? An, an 1800s poet in England. I mean, famous. I had to read him in college. Famous. Here's what he demanded be written on his tombstone. Here lies one whose name was written in water. His buddies were so unsettled by that that the actual tombstone reads... This grave contains all that was mortal of a young English poet who, on his deathbed, in the bitterness of his heart, at the malicious power of his enemies, desired these words written. Here lies one whose name was written water. In other words, they tried to soften it. But he insisted, no, because in one of his letters he said, I want that written because it's simple and affecting and tells so much of the story that none need need be told. In other words, he's saying, the whole point of my life is there is no point. So when you write your name in water, go to, go to, go to the pool and write your name in water and it's gone. He says, that's me. That's my existence. Whew. At the end of all this, somebody would say, preacher, whew, this, this is depressing stuff. If all there is under the sun is, is uh, I mean, I mean, if, if all there is is vanity and a chasing after the wind and write your name on water, who could bear that? Exactly.
1: Preacher, that's pretty
0: depressing stuff. If all you have is life under the sun, you better believe it's pretty depressing stuff. Well, I, I leave here depressed. Then you th- then get your eyes from under the sun to beyond the sun. You're absolutely right, it's depressing. You're absolutely right that it's vanity. Well, there's one last refuge people will go to. This is too much to think about. Preacher, I. Uh, it's too depressing okay well then do you want to be saved Do you want to put your life on what's above the sun no what do you want listen i just want to work hard and i want i've heard this so many times i just want a good night's sleep i want a good night's sleep the last refuge i just want when i close my eyes i want clean conscious good night's sleep well solomon says i'm glad you brought that up verse 23 for all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation that's just the daytime even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. The reason he's saying your mind is racing and you can't sleep at night is you're going, if I could just get set. I've got a financial worry. I've got a, a relationship worry. I've got, I've got a, a legal worry. Solomon's going, I had none of that. There was no legal for me. I'm the king. There's no limits to what I can do. I have no financial worries. I own everything. I, I have everything. Don't you see? I had the same Thirst and this treadmill goes, and even at night, I couldn't uh, sleep for the anxiety. I've done it, I've been there, it's meaningless, it's vapor, it's futile, it's vanity. There's nowhere else to go under the sun. He is trying over and over to close every door of escape until you say, Okay, then what else is there? And look up. That's what he's doing, that's what he's after. Now, let's bring this matter to a close. We have had the access to the book of Ecclesiastes as a human race, we've had the access to this book for about 3,000 years. Surely, we've learned something, haven't we? I mean, surely after 3,000 years, we aren't still so foolish as to think that ultimate fulfillment could come from under the sun, are we? Well, as I was uh, preparing on Ecclesiastes, I was eating a bag of Lay's potato chips. And on that bag, I took a photo to prove it, is a sweepstakes. Where you could win, say it with me, every, under the, it's like, we're sorry, God, forgive us. We don't get it. I cut off the nutrition facts because there are none. You don't need to see that for 3,000 years and there's still no no, no there's got to be something out there there's got to be more there's got to be somewhere Solomon's saying there's nowhere else to go under the sun Solomon's even more miserable than you and I because at least you and I can have still have the fantasy there might be there might be we haven't tried everything Solomon's tried it all so in a way he's more miserable he's bought the fields he's bought those servants who now have servants and the and, and all the power and the wealth and all the fantasies he's saying it's not there it's empty so why would God do this Why would God arrange life this way? Well, here we have to borrow from next week's sermon a little bit, but in Ecclesiastes 3.11, there's this hint that God has placed eternity into the hearts of man. In other words, there's this, what Matt Chandler calls the groove inside of each of us, and nothing seems to fit that groove, but the hunt for everything under the sun is to try to fill that groove. There's a uh, a, a movie where filmed in post-Christian Europe and these post-Christian European philosophers are talking back and forth and one of them has this dynamite line. Now, these are not Christian people at all. Completely secular. Here's what he write, Here's what he said. If there is not God and there never was a God, why do we miss him so much? That's right. He's, he's on to something. He's realizing... Well, why is there this emptiness inside of me? Why can nothing seem to fill it? Well, good friend of mine, C.S. Lewis, he says that uh, perhaps God put eternity in our hearts. Now think about this. Uh, a baby cries out of hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A little duckling wants to swim. Well, there is such a thing as water. If I find in my heart a desire which nothing in this world can fill, the most logical conclusion is that I was made for another world. There is something out there, y'all. There is hope. And it's not going to be found on the back of a Lay's potato chip bag or anywhere else under the sun. The hope is still beyond the sun. The hope is living for the one who is beyond the sun. The hope, that sense of filling and fulfilling is not gonna be found by anything under the sun. And here's the great irony, here's the great irony. If you try to live for what's under the sun, even the pleasure you get is spoiled and ruined. But when you live for that which is beyond the sun, when you live for God, when you, when you, when you devote your life to walk like Jesus Christ, suddenly the pleasures here on earth lose their power to be worshipped. You, you don't idolize them anymore. And suddenly, for the glory of God, you can enjoy the occasional seat warmer. See? Without worshipping it or needing it all the time. You can, you can enjoy the occasional penthouse view without letting it control you. Do you see? Suddenly, everything good is shot through with meaning, and everything bad becomes temporary suffering to be redeemed one day. Why? Because, man, I'm living life beyond the sun. See? Solomon hits the turning point we've all been waiting for in verses 24 through 26, and we'll just go through them quickly because we're wrapping up. But this is a turning point in this particular book of Scripture. There's nothing better for a person than that he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. For apart from him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? The New Testament corollary to this is that, of course, with Christ, living beyond the sun, is First um, uh, Corinthians, uh, 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 um, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all for the glory of God. For, verse 26, for, the, for to the one who pleases him, God has given wisdom and knowledge and joy, but to the sinner, he's given the business of gathering and collecting, right? Just on the treadmill, just gathering and collecting. And in the end, ironically, only to give to one who pleases God, this also is vanity and striving after the wind. Uh, that verse simply means um, for those who continue for their whole life to live under the sun and reject God, in the end, they will gather and collect. And what does Jesus say? And the meek shall inherit the earth. And all that work eventually ends up going to the ones who were seeking to please God anyway, and we're we're saved. So, what does this mean? Well, I I think there's two applications, but the big application is not the one you think, at least the one I would think you think. The big application you would think when you hear this sermon is, wow, this is apologetics. This is really a sermon for non-Christians, isn't it? And of course, if you are lost, this book's coming for you. This book is asking you, come on, be, be honest. Is the philosophy of life, is that in any way existentially satisfying to you? Do you find that in any way intellectually robust? Are you being honest? That live, laugh, love is gonna get you there. So yes, if you're lost, this, this book, Ecclesiastes absolutely is, is pushing you that direction. Yes, it's coming for you. But I think the real application is for those who are believers. If you're a Christian, you say in your mind, Okay, I get it. Jesus Christ comes and he teaches people life's meaningless. I know life is meaningless without him. I'm supposed to live beyond the sun. You live that way in your minds, but functionally, you're still living lace potato chip bag style. See, why are you going back and living in those old habits? Why are you, why are you doing that? Why do I do that? You know, (laughs) we say Jesus is first. Everything is meaningless without Jesus. But in our heart, we've got to drive that into our heart because we still take things like we used to. We still look for meaning in life. We used to try to deal with the hardness of life the way we used to. But with our lips, we say, no, but Jesus Christ is number one. Our lips need to be matched up to our life. Jesus Christ needs to come along every so often and say, apart from me, life is meaningless. And that's why you're feeling this despair. That's why you're feeling this boredom. So if you go through a period of boredom or despair, let that be a good reminder, Christian, of the truth you already know. You say, wait a minute, why am I I downcast? Why am I in despair? Well, it could be that I'm forgetting what I know to be true in Ecclesiastes second chapter. Wait a minute, wake up, soul. I'm living for life under the sun. And I need to set my heart and set my mind and set my affections on the one beyond the sun. Come back to him. Get down on your knees and go to him this afternoon and spend some time with him. Let him infuse you, fill you with meaning. Don't you know he can do that? He's infinite. You know, the reason all the all the, all the stuff we try to fit that God-sized hole in our heart, right, all the stuff, it never fits. You can put all the money in there and all those fantasies and all that stuff. It's never going to fit. Why? Because it, it's like we have, an, we have an infinite chasm. We have an abyss. And it's like if we throw all that stuff in there, it's never going to fill it. It's infinite. So the infinite cannot be filled with finite things. The infinite can only be filled by he who is infinite. And Christ can fill. And then, and then, here's the amazing thing, the amazing irony. And I alluded to this earlier. And then the, uh, the simple pleasures of life become pleasurable again. That's the crazy thing. When you don't need the pleasures to give you pleasure, you can enjoy the pleasures and get pleasure. Did that make any sense? Or did need, Can I retweet that? Okay, yeah. When you don't need the pleasure to give you the pleasure, the pleasures can just be pleasurable. Once again, the indomitable Derek Kidner, look at this, look at this quote. He's an Old Testament commentator. He's a genius. He writes, the basic things of life are sweet and good. What spoils them is our hunger to get out of them more than they can give. See, that's, that, that comes right out of Ecclesiastes' second chapter. Yes, eat and drink for the glory of God. But little by little, when we turn those things, enjoy your children, enjoy your family. if you, uh, 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 Enjoy your, your, your work and your farming and all. Yes, but they're not God. Rightly ordered, with God at the center, we can enjoy Eternity with God and incredibly enjoy those little simple pleasures he gives us every day. God is so good. Because we're living beyond the sun, life is so shot through with meaning. Let's pray. God, we give you thanks for putting us in a philosophical corner this morning where either or, either life has no meaning or life is forever meaningful. Thank you God for reminding us this morning there is no middle ground. There is no gray area. Either we will live for what is beyond the sun or we will be subject to a life of vanity and a striving after the wind. And God, if there's anyone here who is not yet a believer, let today be that day. Let, let, the, let Ecclesiastes, let the word of God do what it's supposed to do. Let it convict and, and, and show your goodness and your holiness and your love and your mercy that you would draw them and let them know there is one who can save and who can give meaning but Lord I also pray for my brothers and sisters in Christ who this week if they go through despair or longing or unmet needs God it would drive them like a nail to the cross it would remind them of what you have done for us in our salvation that meaning can be found only in you grant us that, Lord. And we ask this in the matchless name of Jesus. Amen.